Episode 18 here of season two, Kings of the Podcast. Right off the hop, Dennis Bernstein, welcome in. How are you? We even work on weekends, Jay. Doing great. Let's get to it. We do it all. We do it all. We are coming to you today uh, in between the two games between the Kings and the St. Louis Blues. So there will be plenty of talk about that later on. We do have a guest lined up for the second period, DB. This will be his second appearance on Kings of the Podcast. We're talking about Brian Slagle, a friend to both of us. Uh, we've known him for a long time. He was on Kings of the Roundtable before. We actually had him on Kings of the Podcast. He was on episode 15 back in season one. That was in December of 2019. So it's been a while since we've had him on the program. And, you know, uh, for those that don't know, this he, he's a heavyweight. This is a big-time oh, hitter here. Yeah. Brian Slagle yeah. was the guy who discovered Metallica. And, of course, over the last 30-plus years, he's been the CEO of Metal Blade Records. He wrote a book about it. Um, the thing that I always find funny, Dennis, is to us, he's just Slagle. He's just the dude yeah, that walks around in a t-shirt. Like he's just the dude, right? It's no big deal. But when you're out in public with Slagle, yep. people come up to him and they want his autograph and they want to take a yep. picture. And like people know who he is, which you don't think of because he's a music executive. He's not a musician. He's never fronted a band. Yeah, but he's he's the leader of a genre of music, basically, John. He's yeah. one of the the figureheads of, of that genre. So it's just, it is, it is amazing because he's just a dude. When you just sit down and talk to him with all the stuff he's done, just a dude, but uh, just really a guy who was really championed that, uh, that music. Yeah. It's interesting because he reminds me so much of Greg Hetson, who had obviously different genre of music, you know, punk rock compared to heavy metal and you know, all that thing. But Hetson is just a guy who would rather be at a hockey game and he doesn't care what level it is. Like th- these guys, yep. Slagle, Hetson, they'll go to an ECHL game. They'll go to just like two high school teams playing in the middle of Ohio. They don't care. They just love the sport of hockey. And so it's it's great to see. It's you, great to you have know, them man, on. It's, it. it's funny you bring that up because I, I first met Brian Slagle as somebody reached his PR person reached out to me. I was living in Tampa at the time and we went to a St. Petersburg Parrots <laughs> hockey game there must have been 100 people in the stands in some big arena in in st pete it was just so yeah th- there's a validation of they just love hockey they love the sport no matter what level it is yeah which is great so it's always good to have them on and talk and talk hockey with them and, and slagle uh he he certainly has plenty of opinions so you'll either you'll either love uh his opinions or you will disagree with some of them uh like my son does but hey look uh db we are coming to you today from a different type of studio we are coming to you today from the walter gretzky studio sure. and i thought that this was really timely and appropriate because with the kings playing the blues this weekend of course 99 played for both teams 
Walter's funeral is today. And as so many people have said over the last couple of days on Twitter, he really was hockey's dad. And so, uh, you know, today and this weekend and all the tributes pouring in, it's it's goodbye to hockey's dad. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have a great Walter Gretzky story to share with you. Uh, I, I did meet him uh, at least twice that I remember, but they were very short, uh, you know, type of encounters. But uh, everybody that ever really spent what I would call more quality time with him just had nothing but great things to say about him. And, um, you know, he, he will certainly be missed. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to to Wayne and Janet and Keith and the entire Gretzky family. You know, just the effect that Walter had on people. I, I'm, you know, I was on with um, Steve Cooley's yesterday on uh, Sirius XM on power play on the, we called the discussion room, but at the end of the show, and I'm always on at the end of the last hour, like Steve, who's an upbeat guy, Mr. Positivity, Miss let's have fun. He, he could hardly finish the show when he brought up Walter. That's how pro- profound an effect he had on, on Steve and the other people in that area. Uh, so, yeah, a big loss, um, certainly uh, a great tribute, great uh, naming the studio effort today, a very, very appropriate thing, but a guy who had a lot of effect, a bigger effect on this game than most people think. Well, and, you know, uh, there's no easy way to pivot off of it, but just to sort of transition back to the to the trade that we were speaking of there in February, late February of 1996, uh, Wayne Gretzky was traded from the Los Angeles Kings to the St. Louis Blues five assets going back to LA, including Roman Volpot and Craig Johnson. And I only bring that up because both of those uh, gentlemen were on Kings of the podcast uh, previously. And I really encourage, I know people think it's like self-promotion and we're just, you know, plugging our own stuff here. Um, But I really have to tell you, if you, if you enjoy the history of the LA Kings or even the history of hockey, those two episodes are pretty enlightening because you get an opportunity to hear from players that were traded and move not not just traded, but traded in one of the biggest trades in in hockey history, right? And you get their perspective on it. Everybody hears about or talks about you know Gretzky's perspective, but what about what Roman Vopot went through being traded from the St. Louis Blues? He tells you the story, and Dennis, what I think is great about the story is that when you talk to players in the middle of their career, you know when they're still in the NHL, I don't think they have fully processed being traded. Number one. And number two, you get a lot of more surface and cliche type answers. But what I always enjoy about talking to retired players, and we've had plenty on recently, Jared Stoll and Eric Belanger and a whole bunch of guys. When you talk to a player many years after they've retired and they've left the game, they bring a different perspective to the conversation. Roman Vopat and Craig Johnson will really tell you the other side of that trade when you listen to those two episodes. And two different ends of the spectrum regarding personalities for sure, John. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, completely, right? You have one guy in Roman Volpot. I don't want to have a spoiler alert here, but Roman Volpot, one guy who really didn't play very long in the NHL and ended up having a little bit of a coaching career, but has a, I'll say, a little bit of a bitter taste in his mouth about the entire experience. So you get that perspective, completely fascinating, in my opinion. And then Craig Johnson, who had a completely different experience, right? Yes. Who had an opportunity to play uh, in Los Angeles, has some really positive memories, has, was was welcomed back into the into the fold many, many years later uh, after he had some success uh, coaching in the Anaheim Ducks High School Hockey League and really helped start that program. And then now as an assistant coach with the Ontario Reign. So really just two different perspectives, but but both of them carry a lot of weight and have a lot of value, I think. Agreed, John. So listen to those episodes, Roman Volpot, Craig Johnson, all going back to the 1996 trade that came after the Kings went on a road trip. Uh, and uh, Gretzky, of course, played 
one of his, I think it was the second to the last or maybe third to the last game uh, in a Kings uniform. He did play in Edmonton. And then uh, his final game with the Kings, of course, was against the Winnipeg Jets. Now, we're going to get into uh, Kings versus Blues and the whole overtime situation a little bit later. But, DB, in the first period here today, I wanted to touch on a couple of other things, including some numerology follow-up. So I'll make this very quick. Um, Jared Stoll. He was on the program recently. He was number 28, of course, in L.A., and we normally would have spent some time doing numerology. Um, there are quite a few players that have worn 28 in Los Angeles that, that fans would remember. Uh, you, Steve Duchesne wore that number. Uh, of course, he had two tours of duty with the L.A. Kings. Uh, we won't talk about the second one. I know Luke's listening, and everybody remembers Dave Taylor signing him to that big free agent contract, and they ended up having to buy him out because Duchesne wasn't working out here in Los Angeles on his second go-around. Uh, but somehow he managed to have success with the Red Wings later. But I digress. Uh, Eric Lacroix wore that number. Philippe Boucher wore that number. Stephen Reimprecht wore 28. Adam Deadmarsh, of course, um, who made such a profound impact on the L.A. Kings in a very brief time. Uh, as part of that Rob Blake trade, Dead Marsh, a member of Team USA as well, he he wore number 28. Um, Oleg Tverdoski wore 28. Most people probably forget that. Matt Molson, he wore that number. Of course, Jared Stoll wore the number from 2009 to 2015 and really took ownership, I think, of the number 28. And uh, uh, that number is now uh, upon Jared Anderson Dolan, uh, which we spoke with Stoll about. But there's an interesting thing here. You might be wondering, well, hold on. Stoley didn't wear 28 earlier in his career. And so I uh, wanted to share a tweet, Dennis, because uh, Trapper9, uh, or Nine Trapper, one of those uh, Twitter handles, mm -hmm. uh, replied to the tweet that went out the other day about the Kings of the Podcast with Jared Stoll and asked, uh, asked us if we knew why Stoley uh, wore 28 and what his attachment was. Because, of course, um, uh, that his number 16 that he had worn previously um, had already been retired in Los Angeles. And Stoley replied to the tweet and said his grandpa picked it, who, uh, and he said, Stoley said, I was born in 1982, and he was born in 1928. And I just thought with the whole Fantastic. Walter Gretzky thing yeah, uh, going around right now, it, it, seeing that family connection, how awesome, and it gives a whole new perspective on what that number must have meant to, uh, to Stoley for his grandfather to pick 28 for him. Yeah, it's fantastic. And hey, what's this game without families, right? You can see the generational connection between grandfather, father, and son, just not in this circumstance, but a lot of different circumstances in the game. Yeah, and uh, on a different note for numerology, although he's not on the program, uh, we'll give him a little bit longer to work on his English before we uh, give him a debut uh, slot here on Kings of the Podcast. And I don't mean that as a diss at all. Uh, you know, I love talking to Kapari. Um, it just probably wouldn't be great radio, but he debuted in uh, the first game of this series with the St. Louis Blues, wearing number 89, becoming the first player in L.A. Kings history to wear number 89 in an actual game. We don't really count preseason uh, games where you see some weird numbers. Right. Uh, but I had tweeted out that there were only four other numbers in the 80s. There aren't very many numbers left that haven't been worn at least once, but there were four numbers in the 80s that had been worn. Uh, number 88, which was uh, worn by Jerome McGinley. Number 85, which was worn by Peter Klima. Number 82 by Straka. And then there were three players that wore, uh, wore number 81, all for very brief periods. Matt Roy wore number 81 when he broke into the league uh, a couple years ago, Andrew Campbell wore that when he came in, uh, the original soupy before Jack Campbell came in, uh, Andrew Campbell, who had a, a real good run there with the Manchester Monarchs. And then the third player to wear 81 was a gentleman who had an interesting backstory, uh, Craig Lachlan. And the story here on this one, just uh, Dennis, for those that aren't on Twitter, I'll, I'll be brief with it. 
he had worn number 18 his entire career. And when he came to Los Angeles, he only played 19 games after coming over in a trade from Washington in the second half of the 88 season. But what I found interesting was, okay, fine. He can't wear 18, so he has to wear a different number. So he flipped it. He wore 81. But here's the funny thing. The reason he couldn't wear 18 is 18 was taken by Dave Taylor. Many, 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 many years before that, when he was a freshman in college, there was a gentleman there at Clarkson University who was a senior and on his way out the door. So during Craig's freshman year at Clarkson University, his teammate was Dave Taylor. So I love those type of connections. That's fantastic. Interesting it's stuff there. Jay. It's all connected. It's all connected, man. It's all connected. Uh, look, speaking of uh, of hockey and, and numbers and things, 39, which is still something I'm trying to get used to because it's not a number I associate with Alex Turcott. I'm making a hard left here in case you didn't see my blinker. Um, 39, Alex Turcott is back in the lineup tonight for the Ontario Reign. Right. They are going to begin a back-to-back. Uh, actually, today, I should say, these are matinee games. They're going to play back-to-back sets against the Bakersfield Condors. This will be the first uh, time that they see Bakersfield this year, I believe, and so two afternoon games. Turcott is back in. He's been on the shelf for the last three weeks. We thought that he was going to get back into the lineup last week up uh, in the road trip uh, in San Jose. It didn't happen, but he's good to go now. Kapari is still up with the Kings, so Turcott slides in. But Aiden Dudas is going to be a healthy scratch tonight. I find that fascinating only because I think that uh, Dudas is one of the real energy guys on that team. And he's so versatile being able to be used at center and at wing. Interesting choice of, of player that they're choosing to sit out tonight. So Dudas is out. And on defense, Cole Holtz is out, which is also a little bit disappointing because uh, uh, Holtz, who is coming back from an injury, and he mm-hmm. has, I think, played every game since returning from injury. But, uh, you know, when you join the season – after it's already been up and running and you've missed training camp a little bit, it is challenging to, uh, to, you know, to get back up to speed, sure. full speed. So we'll see if he gets back into the lineup tomorrow. Um, I'm still baffled by the fact, Dennis, that the Bakersfield Condors, for those that don't know, that's the AHL affiliate of the Edmonton Oilers. And with all the border issues, right. Calgary figured it out and they moved the Stockton team up to Calgary. What are the Oilers thinking, putting, leaving their AHL team in California during the uh, the COVID situation, I guess they they don't anticipate any recalls, John, or any sent down. Oh, definitely recalls because that's three days in a hotel and fourteen days in quarantine. So unless yeah. you want to play her seventeen days from now, Jay, you're not going to get them. Well, I I just don't get it. I I, I don't un- see. I didn't understand the whole Calgary situation anyway because when it was first announced that you know the AHL was going to be up and running and you know all that stuff sort of thing you sort of expected okay well you know Winnipeg uh, excuse me uh Calgary and Edmonton they'll pull their teams out of California and they'll they'll put them back across the border so they don't have to deal with it and it didn't happen and then the AHL schedule actually was released so the rain had on their schedule to play the Stockton Heat and uh the Bakersfield Condors and then like the next day Calgary said, oops, sorry, we changed our mind. We're, right. you know, it's like, why did you change your mind now? You had a month or more to think about it and plan. It took the schedule coming out for you guys to realize that you wanted to take your players uh, up to Calgary. And then Edmonton was like, yeah, no, no, we're good. We're good. Just, just leave it as is. We're good. I can't figure it out. Uh, Dennis, though, speaking of Calgary, let's get to this one. Uh, a lot to cover here today on today's yeah. episode, by the way. Daryl Sutter, <laughs> can't even believe I'm saying these words. I know. I know. <laughs> and your phone was probably like my phone was blowing yes. up, uh, including you texting me as well. But our phones were blowing up late. What was that? Thursday night, uh, which is an awkward situation. After the game, Jeff yeah. Ward does his post game press conference. <laughs> he does the media. He talks to him. He gives his thoughts on the game. And then after that Zoom, 
the Calgary Flames announced that they have right. terminated his contract and that Daryl Sutter will take over as the head coach of the Calgary Flames. Reaction. Tree, yeah, Tree Living knows he's going to fire the guy. So you really want to just send him out there. Why don't you just say, hey, you know what? Take a lap. We're making a change. Send an assistant coach out there and not send the guy out there and then whack him. Uh, well, if I'm Johnny Gaudreau, I'm texting Dustin Brown. I've already texted <laughs> Dustin Brown for his opinion on American players, first of all. That's right. Um, Jay, look, it didn't end well here. He hasn't coached in four years. I get it. They want a guy who's going to come in and kick some butt. I get it. And Sam Bennett probably needs a kick in the butt the way he's playing. But this team, John, to be honest, they're average. They're not that good. And Mark Giordano, who won the Norris Trophy at 35, he's a shell of what he was at 30, at 37 now. Uh, maybe it's a wake-up call to Goudreau and Monaghan, but I don't see – and, John, I, I see this with other coaches. I said it with Tortorella with the challenges he had to, with Dubois. I saw it with Claude Julien, challenges there in Montreal. Can they, I'm not sure that Dow can connect with the, this generation of players. I think it's – it's not a desperation move by Tree Living, but it's a big roll of the dice. I'm not sure this guy's going to, you know, ride into town on his white horse from Viking and think he's going to be successful. If he is, then then I was wrong. I, I just see, I just remember people that are pushing him. Remember 2012 and 2014. I remember 16 and 17 where they tuned him out and they weren't. And John, you and I have spoken about this. Like if Daryl and as you mentioned, when the microphones are down, he's a really nice dude, a family man, whatever. For some reason, he's got to have that fence up when microphones go up, and he's a real bastard sometimes, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. I mean, so that's it. But it, John, he, he doesn't know how to take his foot off the pedal. Like, he won two cups here, John. He should still be the coach. He should have been the coach here for life. But he didn't know how to take his foot off the pedal. The, the players just tuned him out, and he wasn't coaching for four years. So I think it's a pretty big gamble by tree living. But it's in season, and Daryl got his money. He got a three-year deal, so good for Daryl. Yeah, I have so many questions about this. I, I just they're endless. We could do we could probably do two hours on this. Like, yeah. and you touched on several of of the points already. You know, the fact that he has been out of the league, and is he going to be able to connect with this next generation of player? Uh, it, it I, I wonder. I'm curious about it. He's such a short-term type coach where it works in short spurts, and yeah. so I understand what they're trying to do. But you give him a three-year contract. And now, you know, uh, Daryl next year, like this year's great because he never has to, he never has to leave Canada. I mean, like I tweeted, this is like yeah, a dream that. job for him. I mean, he couldn't, you know, to avoid the United States and to never have to deal with Americans. It's, it's incredible. Right. But I just don't understand what you're going to do. And then your best players, Johnny Goudreau, Kachuk, uh, you know, they're American born players and, 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 you know, Dwight King is one of the reasons that Dwight King was teacher's pet was because he was a Canadian player. Daryl loves old school hockey. Daryl loves Canadian players. Daryl loves a certain type of player that there's just there's no other way to say it. There's no right. other way around it if you want to be honest about the situation. And while the league has continued to move away from those type of players and the league is now more international than it ever has been before. Uh, can you win? Can you put that roster together? There are going to be moves. There are going to be trades. Um, I do, I do point to this though also, and I, and I tweeted this as well, Dennis, um, it wasn't lost on me that he threw a little shade at the GM because that's Daryl. 
It, right. it, of know, course. Do you know what I'm, talk, you know what I'm talking totally. about when he, yeah, he, so, so for those that don't know the backstory, uh, the general manager in Calgary was the assistant general manager of the Phoenix Coyotes or Arizona Coyotes at the time when the Kings beat them in the 2012 playoffs. And Daryl, when uh, being asked about sort of the similarities of taking this team over, I think that was the question about taking this team over compared to taking over the Kings. And he talked about, um, you know, uh, the makeup of the roster and how much time was left in the season, et cetera. And then he made sure to mention that, um, you know, that, that his team, the team that he was coaching beat uh, his general manager's team. And I just thought, you know, man, that's, that's really throwing some shade at your general manager. It didn't need to be said in my opinion. So okay. it was interesting that he, that yeah. he did, uh, that he had to, at least in my opinion, Dennis. Sure. I, no, look, and you're right. He can't help himself sometimes. And I, when I think of Daryl, like he's the master manipulator. So there was no yes. accident like, to come back and be like, oh, no, I didn't mean anything by it. I, you know, it was just it was just a conversation. Calculating guy. It was context. Exactly. We talk about context. It's not context with Daryl. It's calculated. It was calculated. He he's knew what he was calculating as like uh, Phil Jackson and Kobe and Shaq or when they were the Lakers. Everything has intent. It's yes. not it's not a throwaway line for sure. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it will certainly be interesting. It will absolutely be interesting to follow along what happens with the Calgary Flames. You know, they, um, to a certain extent, they've sort of, they've made their bed. They've sort of, they've yeah. had the opportunity to move certain players. They haven't moved those particular players. They kind of went all in on their goaltending situation, on that crazy goaltending carousel that took place last year in the offseason. Uh, and now with the flat cap and everything, you know, I think that uh, while the trade market it's going to, you know, just to sort of transition a little bit, Dennis, I think that the, the trade market is there's going to be a lot of buzz out there leading into the trade deadline this year because so many teams think they're still in it. But at the same time, because of the flat cap, I think you're going to see a lot more deals where money is moved oh, as much as, you know, draft picks are moved. So I don't know where the Calgary Flames go. We don't need to turn this into the Calgary Flames podcast, but I don't know where they go in terms of uh, trying to find the right partner to to move the, some pieces out and get what they need. Yeah, more than likely it's got to be a dollar for dollar trade. I'll give you another example in the in the East. Like the Caps need a goaltender, right? The two goaltenders they're not going to win a title with them. They're they're at the cap. So any legit goaltender they bring in, they're going to have to send out money. And how do they do that? So yeah, there's going to be a lot of chatter. But I agree with you. It's not quote unquote hockey trades that probably come in the off season. I think deadline moves. It's probably going to be money. It has you have to match the money to make it sense. Of it, yeah, and I mean, and then you also have the expansion draft in it. So you, you like right. with Jonathan exactly. Quick, any sure. potential Jonathan Quick trade. Uh, I was writing about this a couple of weeks ago. Any potential Jonathan Quick trade uh, by the LA Kings, if they decided to go that route, they have to get a goaltender back in return because you have to have a quote unquote experienced goalie to to present. In you know, so either right. Grossnick ends up getting an extension which he'd be the the benefactor of luck in that particular case, because sure. in normal circumstance, the Kings would not be extending him. So you either would have to extend him so that you can expose him as the experienced goalie if he meets the requirements, or you would have to get a goalie back in return. Uh, and, and so it's one of those situations where if you trade Jonathan Quick, you want assets back in return. You really don't want another goaltender. You don't need another goaltender, but you would have to for the expansion draft. Exactly. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, type thing. And DB, one last thing before we go to break here, and uh, let's get to let's get to Brian Slagle. Let's talk some some music. Let's talk some hockey. But uh, one thing that we definitely want to talk with Brian about as well, because I think that what happens in sports ties a lot in many ways to what happens in music because they share so many of the same venues. News coming out just over the last 24 hours, Dennis, that Dodgers, uh, the Dodgers could have fans in the stands on opening day in April. That's fantastic for the world of sports. Yeah, 
I think for right now it's 100 fans, but it'll trend up quickly. I think a week later you could probably – the Angels, I think by April 9th, would have 20% is, is in the stands in Orange County, which I think is about 9,000. I think it's fantastic. With respect to the ramification of the Kings, it's different because it's an indoor arena. So who knows what the, the county officials will say here in Los Angeles. But, John, you could certainly see things are trending in the right direction. I think today there's four players on the COVID list, right? So things are getting – better in the sports world, but just in the world in general, that Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the one shot deal that's coming in, that's going to really be a game changer. So hopefully by the time we get to April and May and if the Kings are in the postseason, maybe we'll have some fans in the stands for the postseason. That would be just fantastic. All right. Well, let's see what uh, Slags has to say about it as well. What's happening on the music side. Same thing in sports. You have some music venues that are inside. You have some that are outside for the festivals. It'll be fascinating. We have some, uh, just for Brian, we have some Metal Blade uh, music lined up here on the break. We'll be back on the other side to talk with Brian Slagle. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Exclude sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See Metro by T-Mobile.com. After this. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period, and uh, we're excited for all of our guests, but DB, anytime that we get to have one of our friends on, it's a little bit extra special, so Brian Slagle, CEO of Metal Blade Records. Slags, what's happening? Hello, guys. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Well, we're doing great, and uh, you probably didn't hear it in your earpiece, but I do want to let you know that uh, coming out of the first period leading into this interview, we had some armored Satan just for you, so missile to gun there. Uh, hopefully, you'll appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, look, before we get into hockey, why don't we just start, uh, Dennis and I were talking off air about uh, music festivals and, and just fans coming back because there are some parallels of, you know, related to the, to the sports world. Um, what, what are you sensing? What are you feeling? Obviously, you know, we're not looking for an official proclamation or anything, but just, you know, your own personal opinion. What, what do you think is going to happen here in 2021 and 2022 with, uh, with fans returning to, you know, music festivals and large scale uh, events that require, you know, big audiences? Well, I think we're all kind of becoming a little bit more optimistic now than, excuse me, than we were a couple months ago. Uh, it seems like the role of the vaccine is going much better than we had hoped. And that's really what we're all kind of waiting for, because until we really get to that point where it's safe to have these large scale uh, concerts and, and <clears throat> festivals, you know, we have to wait for that sort of stuff. But the vibe really in the last few weeks has been much more positive that we're going to see more shows happening by summertime. 
than we were probably a, a month or so ago. So we'll see. It, it's a it's definitely a changing thing. You never know. Uh, we're hoping that things continue to go this way. I mean, there's a lot of stuff planned. Some stuff's been announced. Uh, you know, here in Vegas, we have Psycho Fest and Funk Rock Bowling that have both been announced for later this year. So fingers crossed. Uh, I'm going to remain optimistic and hopeful that we're going to start seeing large level concerts sooner than later, hopefully. Well, I had a little uh, punk rock bowling tie-in for you coming at the end of the show today, the outro. We're going to play some Mighty Mighty Bostones just for you. Awesome. Uh, and Thank you. I can't wait, uh, yes, for punk rock bowling. It was it was a dagger to the heart that last year it was, you know, it had to be canceled and moved. Obviously, you know, we understand why for safety reasons, but uh, it's, it's, it is the event on my annual calendar, and, and it was sorely missed in 2020. Looking forward to getting back there in 2021. But here, here's the follow-up to the last question, and that is I, I kind of see this is potentially you wearing you know two hats or there being two sides of the coin there's like the business mind of yours that wants to get back and wants to get going and and wants these events to take place because it's good for business let's be honest but then i just wonder if there's also like the personal side of it where maybe you're like the rest of us and you're wondering is life ever going to return to normal again will, will we ever just be in the pit or you know uh, in a packed club or anywhere you know in close confines like we were before yeah, I mean, that's something we all kind of think about. And, and it's been so long. It, it seems so long ago that we were at concerts or, or sporting events with people around. And obviously, like everybody else, I've been doing a lot of, you know, rabbit hole watching old concerts and old, you know, hockey games and whatnot where there's, there's fans at, which is kind of weird to see that now. <laughs> it's going to take a while, but I, I do, like I said, I do remain optimistic that, that we're going to get back there. It's going to take a while. Uh, I think this year, we're hoping that we're going to start seeing some more large, large scale stuff. But I think next year, 2022, we'll, we'll slowly return to where we used to be. And like everybody else is saying, it's going to be the roaring 20s all over again. It's going to be nuts when it does all come back. Brian, so big picture. I know that that live event music is big, a big component of what Metal Blade does. But the fact that people were home the last year, like how was us being in our homes for the majority of the year, were there more downloads? How did it all, how did it affect business for, for Metal Blade? Well, strangely enough, we had one of the better years we've ever had, really. Uh, you know, we did a lot of, we didn't put out a lot of new records, obviously, but we did a lot of, we have a huge catalog and we did a lot of what's called mining of the catalogs. We did a lot of reissues, a lot of vinyl repressings. And even though we were, we were pretty much shut down all over the world for about three months when all the manufacturing and everything stopped, Thankfully, the fans have been so great in supporting us and all our releases. I mean, we can't keep anything in stock. Everything we Fantastic. make, That's especially great. physical, CDs, vinyl, all that stuff goes away. Our streaming numbers are really good, which I think because obviously fans are not going to concerts, so they have extra money, hopefully, sitting around, and they're supporting our, our artists by buying the music, by buying T-shirts, by buying anything they can, and that's been a huge help for us. We, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. Right. going into this year but surprisingly we ended up doing really really well and that's all all in part to the amazing fans in, in our genre so look, I, we're going to get to hockey here in just a second don't worry but and i didn't even have this list uh on my my list of questions here but i think it's a great one that sort of builds off of what you're talking about one of the things that's been interesting on the hockey side and, and i've seen this in some other areas as well there are things that 
that will be changed forever. Like we talk in hockey, for example, these two game series, there's a lot of momentum within the sport managers and players and coaches and everybody saying, you know, I think we're on to something here. Let's, let's look into figuring out how to do this, cut down the travel, et cetera. So my question is on the music side of things, have, have you found anything over the last year that you're like, you know what, we probably never would have thought of that or we never would have done that. Uh, but man, we tried it and we really like it. And we think it's going to now be part of who we are going forward. Oh, 100%. I think the, the live streaming is exactly what that is. You know, we would not have done this stuff before. I mean, there's been things here and there, but nobody really thought to do it. But now with no concerts, a lot of bands are doing these live streams and a lot of them are being really creative in doing them and doing more than just a show. There's all sorts of other elements that they're putting into these live streams and it's really super creative and it's been some of the stuff i've seen has been just phenomenal i'm sure a lot of other people have been watching it in the streams have been great and moving forward that's going to become a component of what bands do going down the line is they'll probably do you know maybe one live stream per tour cycle which again people who can't get to the shows you know complain you don't come to north dakota or wherever it is you know, you'll be able to, to watch a live stream show and the capabilities to do those now i mean most clubs have it there's a lot of other technology that we're using that, that makes it more special than just watching a concert on video mm-hmm. yeah so so brian i'm going to shift to hockey now uh for fans that don't know and shame if you don't uh brian has roots in southern california but picked up and uh moved saw the light moved to vegas and now is a, a vjk guy brian your opinion on those gold buckets oh yeah i'm not a fan <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan at all. Uh, I actually tweeted something out the other day when, when they were losing that the third game. I said, if this keeps up, they would be 0-3 in these helmets. And, and they came back and won that game and proved me wrong. But, yeah, I'm not a fan of those. However, I do love the, the retro jerseys. Those red jerseys are, are phenomenal. But gold, gold helmets, uh, I, I'm out. I'm not in. On, on the Vegas front, now, we came into the season expecting uh, Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, probably as the top three teams in the West. It hasn't exactly you know, turned out that way, at least not with St. Louis. Uh, but, you know, and Vegas has had to have a couple starts and stops just because of the whole COVID protocol situation. But how are you feeling about the Golden Knights right now at this point in the season, about, what, 20 games into the season, roughly? I mean, you know, they're obviously the record is pretty good and they're playing pretty well. They're, they're, they weren't actually until this Minnesota series playing as well against the top teams, the St. Louis, Colorado, but they're starting to, to pull their games together. And of course, Marc-Andre Fleury has been out of his mind. I mean, I, I've always been a huge fan of him, a Penguin fan forever, and I've seen him play a lot. He might be playing now better than he ever has. And without him playing that well, I'm not sure that the Knights would be where they're at because they still have the usual... You know, they're, they're a great team, and they're really fast and a lot of speed, and they can play any style of game, but they don't have a lot of finishers on that team sometimes, and that's frustrating because they get so many chances, but they don't finish. But, but Marc-Andre Fleury's kept them in all these games, and they've been able to come back and win. So, so far, so good. They, they look pretty good. I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's a couple things that have to improve for them. Uh, you know, Peter Angelo, we got, who you know, obviously was phenomenal with St. Louis. He hasn't found his game quite yet, so it's early. Hopefully, he'll, he'll fit in eventually. So so we'll see. I mean, they look pretty good now. It, it, I, look, Colorado has not looked very great, but you know, they have goaltending issues, which I think they'll probably solve at the deadline. And, you know, we'll see about the other teams. But the one team, and I'm sure we'll bring that you're probably going to bring this up, but the one team that I've been really impressed with is the Kings. Kings, you know, kind of out of nowhere, have looked really, really good. And, you know, the older veterans are playing 
extremely well, and these young kids are coming up playing really well. They've been one of the most fun teams to watch because they work so hard. Like every game, they work hard every game. I love seeing that. That's great to know. So you're an old school guy. You are so passionate about the game. I'm sure you watch multiple games a night because of COVID and because of the real life. Just your thoughts in general on the North. They call it the North, but the Canadian division and these teams playing each other every night. Oh, I love it. I mean, I love it. I mean, first of all, if it wasn't for sports, especially hockey, over this whole time, I'd probably be in the same time at this point. But um, I, I love it. I love I love this, this whole season because I love the rivalries. I love the short schedule. I love that they're playing, you know, three, four times in a row. Like, like John mentioned earlier, I think that's something they're going to start doing again, which I think is great. Uh, but I, I love the North Division. I'm, I'm a big fan of all those teams, but I, I love watching them play because they're all – you know, I like up-tempo games, and certainly, you know, Toronto, Edmonton, et cetera, more or less played up style. So it's been fun. And just, they're all rivalry games. Like, every night, every game is a rivalry game. So this has just been tremendous so far. Well, uh, fresh on the heels of the North Division conversation, I guess we have to ask you then about the breaking news, news here uh, just recently. Daryl Sutter returning to the coaching ranks behind the scenes uh, or behind the bench there for the Calgary Flames. Did you see that one coming? Don't lie. Uh, I did not. I did not see that one coming a, a thousand miles away. No, it was crazy. Uh, I, I'm a big Flames guy because I'm, I'm friends with Brad for a living. Uh, I used to be involved in the Central Hockey League way back in the day when he was the president. So I got to spend a lot of time with him and work with him. He's a phenomenal human being and a great hockey guy. So I'm always pulling for him. So that's an interesting one. You know, I hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is there any team in the National Hockey League though that you're not somehow connected to or a fan <laughs> of? Because we could have mentioned any of the 31 teams, and you would have had some great story about. Oh, yeah, you know, I like that team because of so and so player, or you know, you just you have a connection to all 31. I used to own a piece of that team, or something. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what being a, a lunatic hockey fan will get you sometimes. And I'm lucky enough to be in the entertainment industry, so. I get to kind of stick my nose in and people will actually give me the time of day. So I'm, I'm lucky for that. Sure. But, uh, but anyway, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I just wonder how these old school coaches go with these younger players. Although I think in the short term, I'm sure this is going to be good because the way Daryl coaches, I think that team needs an identity and they need to get that team rolling. And I'm sure he's probably going to come in and, and make a difference. I would hope. Who's the second best player in the league if Connor McDavid's the first? Austin Matthews. And I would argue that Austin Matthews might be a better player than Connor McDavid. He's a full 200 foot player. Clearly Connor McDavid, the best skater in the league, the best offensive player in the league, but he really needs to learn how to play in the defensive zone. I've really noticed this year, because I've been watching certainly more hockey than I ever have, that he doesn't play a lot in the defensive zone. He just kind of floats around. He's not blocking shots. He's not digging for pucks. He's not, you know, throwing the body around. He's just kind of floating around waiting for somebody to get him the puck so he can go the other way. And I understand that because it's so dangerous. But he's got to play a more of a 200 foot game, whereas Matthews, probably even overall Vichkin now, the most goal scorer in the league, and he'll play 200 feet. And, you know, look at the two teams. I mean, Edmonton's a much better team than, I mean, I'm sorry, Toronto's a much better team than Edmonton is. And I saw that in that series a little while ago. Yeah. So, well, one thing on that, um, I don't blame Toronto for the schedule that they play, but if they were in the Atlantic division with Tampa and Boston and Florida, they'd probably, probably still be the third place team in that division. Okay. Yeah. And, I, 
I definitely, I definitely agree with that a hundred percent. Those, right. those teams play a much tougher, more defensive style than, than what they do in the North division. But for a fan, it's fun because you get to see a lot of, you know, offense. And I'll debate you that Austin Matthews isn't even the best player on his team. I think Mitchell Marner is better than Austin because he, he doesn't score half those goals without Marner, but we can, Austin's had a great run. He's been a superior goal scorer, but I think on that team, I think Mitchell Marner is more valuable than Austin, believe it or not. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, that's a, certainly an argument to have. He's a phenomenal player, but that's one of those things where, you know, every time you've got a team with a couple of great players, they feed off each other and they right. each make, make each other better. I think that's, that's definitely happening. Back to the Kings. Back to the Kings. Then you uh, you mentioned a minute ago that you've enjoyed watching them, and that's unfortunate because uh, my son now, I, you know, he might he's not going to have anything to disagree with you about. Uh, he, he's been one of your biggest critics over the last couple of years. Going back to Kings of the Roundtable, where you weren't fond of Adrian Kempe. So let's start there. Uh, your assessment of of Kempe, he still is in his early twenties, which is crazy. I mean, he is not even twenty five years old yet. Um, what, what you know? What's your assessment of Kempe this year? What have you liked from him or not liked from him? I think, you know, he's becoming a, a more look, guys from Sweden generally are good defensively. And I think he plays very good defensively and he's learning the spots to, to, to score some goals and he's scoring some good goals. So I think he's developing very nicely. Like I said, he's still young and, you know, a, a team that's like the Kings that's in transition and have so much talent coming up, you know, he's going to be, a, he's going to be a good guy to have on that team and whether, you know, maybe he ends up on the, on the third line, but he's a good third line player. You know, there's a guy on the third line that, you know, you need guys like him that can play defense and also score big goals. So, so I, I've come around. I think that there was too many expectations on him. And that was kind of my, uh, I guess, criticism that we thought he was going to come in and score 30 goals every year. And it's not that kind of guy, but he's, he's turning out to be a good solid NHL pro. Right. Um, you mentioned the pros melding in with the young players. So how surprised are you from the seasons Kopitar Brown and Dowdy are putting up? Well, I mean, you can't be too surprised. I mean, these are all Hall of Fame guys with Stanley Cup rings, and they have a lot of pride. And I'm sure that the last few years have been pretty horrible for them. <clears throat> they had an extended off, off time. I mean, what they were all gone for almost a whole year. So they could heal up. They could get into better shape. I know Kopitar lost some weight. But I think coming in, they, you know, those guys, like I said, they, they want to be, they want to be on a good team. And I think they accepted the role of we're the older guys. We have these younger guys coming up. Let's, help them just like when they were coming up you had some of the older veterans think that as well that they kind of helped them along and they're kind of passing I don't want to pass the torch yet but they're doing that now so I, i'm not overly surprised by that i kind of in the early season early season i kind of thought that the kings might be a surprise team because they still have all that talent there and if these young kids can come up and start playing well which they have um they're going to be good and, and they've got i mean the pipeline right now is the talent the kings have what about the goaltending? Where do you stand on the whole Quick versus Peterson topic? Well, I mean, again, you know, Quick's been a world-class goaltender for many, many years. He hasn't been as as good lately, but again, he also had a lot of time to, to heal up and, and rest. So I think that's happening. And, you know, Peterson, it, it's hard to tell with goaltenders, especially for young goaltenders, how good they're going to be down the road. He certainly looks pretty good now, and I think that this is the perfect time for them to split duties and, you know, have each guy play, you know, half the games or whatever and see how it goes. But so far, so good. I think he's played very well. And, you know, you just, it's just hard to tell with goaltenders. You know, you see goaltenders sometimes you think that guy's going to be 
a star, and then it just doesn't really happen because it's such a just a, such a hard to predict position. No, I want to go across the country for a second. And you've always been a big follower and advocate of Russian players. Gino Malkin's one of your favorites of all time. What do you think of what's going on with Panarin in New York? And he's had to take that leave of absence because of the, the media in Russia. I mean, it's it's scary, right? I mean, you know, you don't know really what's going on. And, and he's been, you know, pretty outspoken politically, which obviously is a difficult thing to do over there. So it it's scary. I hope that it all gets sorted out. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident it will be. And it's a shame because, you know, he's such a phenomenal player. You don't ever want to see a player not play, especially for reasons that aren't injury related. So yeah, fingers crossed that that all comes out fine and safe and, and good. Knowing how much you like the World Juniors, uh, Slags, we haven't had you on in, in, in a while now, uh, and it was a pretty exciting World Junior tournament that took place. Was there anybody that stood out to you that, you know, maybe you you weren't expecting to have a great tournament uh, or even players that lived up to your expectations? Well, yeah, and that was great this year because, you know, being in America, we don't get this every single game like you do in Canada, which makes me very jealous sometimes. But luckily, because of what was going on with COVID, we got to see every single game. And, I, you know, I'll watch Austria or, or, you know, Slovakia, Germany. I, I watch everything. So, um, you know, it was the guys you expected to be good were, were all very good. Uh, I'm a big, I, I've talked to you, John, about this. I'm a, I'm a huge Brock Faber fan. Mm-hmm. been watching him a lot uh, playing in Wisconsin. And he's just a, a solid, solid defenseman. I was happy that he played very well in the World Juniors, too. Not surprisingly, because he came in as a guy that was a bit under the radar. And by the end of the tournament, he was the top two defensive players, <clears throat> top two defensive pairing for the, for the U.S., which was great. And yeah, I mean, you know, Stutzla was phenomenal and it continues to be phenomenal. I think the guy that wasn't necessarily a big surprise, but I was really uh, impressed by Zegris, obviously. I mean, he had a phenomenal tournament. New going in, he's a really top skill guy. But when you get to the World Juniors and all of a sudden these guys are all playing other star players, it's interesting to see who really kind of goes to the top. And Zegris certainly proved to be very special in that tournament. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also know you've spent a lot of time in Central Florida. So Tampa... They're doing all this without Kucherov. Is the cup theirs to lose, or can a team like your Golden Knights or maybe Colorado emerge and beat this team? Well, I picked the Lightning to win the cup before the season started, so I got to stick with that. And look, if they can stay fairly healthy, and it, it looks like Kucherov's going to come back at some point in this season, and you're going to add him towards the end of the season. I mean, they're scary. But, you know, they've got the confidence now that they right. can do it. They've got so much talent. They're playing really well. The only thing that would sideline them is, you know, somebody big goes down, especially like a headman might go down. But then again, they did it without Stamkos. So, so who knows? But yeah, I think it's there for sure. Any surprise team? You mentioned the Kings, obviously, but uh, besides the Kings, uh, who we talk enough about here on Kings of the Podcast, what about around the rest of the league? Anybody that stood out to you this year that, uh, that you know, at least you're, you're intrigued by? Well, I think the biggest surprise of all has got to be the Blackhawks. I mean, everybody thought, including me, that they were going to be terrible this year and they were going to be like, well, maybe they'll get the first overall pick or something. And they, you know, kind of like the Kings, you've got guys on that team, Patrick Kane, you know, one of the top players in the league who again has a lot of pride. And, you know, he's like, I'm not going to let this team be terrible. And some of the other guys have come up and played pretty well. This goaltender out of the blue is, is playing great. So they probably, I think, Kings second. I think the Blackhawks have been the most surprising team so far this year. 
Slags, as we as we get sort of towards the end here, where do you stand on outdoor games? We saw, you know, recently this whole thing going on in Lake Tahoe and, and you know, it was it was picturesque and it was beautiful. Um, there, There's a certain segment of the hockey fan base population that they say they're over the outdoor games. Uh, Dennis and I tend to subscribe to the theory that you're over the outdoor games until it's in your market. And when your right. team is hosting yeah. the outdoor game, then, you know, you, you and your fans, uh, you know, you guys go bananas for it because the, the lines for merch are out of control. Tickets are hard to get the whole nine. So I'm just curious, you've been to some of these outdoor games. You, you've taken in the experience from different perspectives. Where do you stand on the whole outdoor game thing as we move forward? Well, as being a person that went to the first ever outdoor hockey game, here in Las Vegas in the 90s with the Kings, which was interesting because the ice was barely there. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the outdoor games. I think they're great. It's, it's, a, it's a unique experience. It's a unique, unique way for them to market and promote the game. I know they've always been hugely, the ratings stuff are always big, which is why they do them all the time. As a fan, going to them, it's a little tricky because it's not the best sight lines. And, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not going to go sit in 30, in you know, minus 10 degree weather or something. But as a fan on TV, I think they're great. And, I really, really love the Tahoe game. The, the atmosphere was great. The, the scene stuff was phenomenal. I think by them moving that the Bruins Flyers game back, having that sunset in the background was, was incredible. I mean, it's something you've never seen at Austin before. It's incredible. So I like, I'm, you know, a lot of people have been debating this, but I'm like, look, if they do one game a year in a location like that without a lot of fans, I'm all for that. Now, I know economically the owners in the league probably not going to like that, but I do know the ratings were super high for yes, that, yeah. and I think a lot of people came away with it. How cool is it to have uh, an outdoor game in this beautiful stadium? You couldn't, you couldn't play a hockey game there ever, so I, I'm all for that. And the other games, I'm all for them too. I think they should continue to do them, and, and you're right. Once it gets to your market, once your team's involved, it goes crazy. And they're talking about having trying to do one here in Vegas, which would be insane. Well, we continue to hear about a home-and-home series between the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights. So if that comes to pass, how exciting would that be? We would, have, uh, we would of course, host you here in L.A., Slags, and then we'll have to come up to Vegas and, and hang with you there. Uh, although we can't go to Center Bar at uh, Hard Rock anymore because they closed that place down. <laughs> Uh, we won't get started on that or, you know, I might cry on the air. So we have some and, and that's not going to work. We have Kill Switch uh, lined up to play on the way out here. So like, we appreciate you coming in, spending some time with us. It's always good to catch up, talk music, talk hockey. Uh, can't wait to see you again soon. Anytime, my friend. It's always good to do this. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Brian Slagle, you can follow him on Twitter. He's the CEO of Metal Blade Records. And if you like hard rock and metal music, he's the guy to follow. Kill Switch coming up right now. And on the other side, we'll talk more hockey after this. to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period. DB, 
another outstanding conversation with Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records. Just a fascinating guy from both a, a business and sports standpoint. So glad we got him back. It's been a couple of years, but uh, always great to reconnect with Brian Slagle. Yeah, so we had a little Metal Blade there on the bumps today as well. Armored Saint, as I mentioned, that was Missile to Gun at the... Uh, the first intermission and for second intermission, that was Kill Switch Engage, which was Unleashed. So a couple of tracks from them. And we'll have a special song for Brian here at the end of the show. Uh, look, DB, before we go any further, let's just talk about what's coming up. St. Patty's Day. We're already into March, Dennis. And St. Patrick's Day is coming. And our buddies over at uh, Manscaped, they have the new St. Patty's Performance Package. So let me tell you about this. They want you to know you should be prepared for St. Patrick's Day with Manscaped if you're going to get a little lucky. Manscaped is the global leader for below-the-waist grooming and the official sponsor of Kings of the Podcast. To ensure that you have the best tools for your family jewels, visit Manscaped. Use our code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. You'll get 20% off and free international shipping. You're in luck because the Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Included in this new package, Dennis, is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. That's uh, waterproof, uses 9,000 RPM uh, motor, 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. That's for all the uh, technical guys out there. But hey, look, people, 79% of partners polled admitted that those long nose hairs are a major turnoff. Dennis, I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I'm all for the 79%, but what is going on with the other 21% that are like, no, nah, I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. I don't There's know. Freaks out there, John. You know, <laughs> some, some definite freaks. Come on, people. Let's get that 79% higher. Uh, say no to nose hair for sure. That would be the new, the new motto here on Kings of the podcast. Uh, if you have that and you need to clean it up, why not use the best tools for the job? This bundle includes the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which of course is the best trimmer on the market. And uh, their third-generation trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology. You will feel confident when shaving, and you and your partner are going to get lucky, all right, because these are the tools to take care of you. So let's not forget their famous liquid formulations. You have the Crop Preserver. You have the Crop Reviver. That's their deodorant and toner that will maximize uh, your hygiene. And you can get the performance package right now and get two free gifts. You get the Manscaped boxers and the Shed travel bag, which is outstanding. So the performance package is the best value that Manscaped has to offer. It's ready to go right now. Get lucky for St. Patrick's Day. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. That's K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. Use our code 20% off, free shipping. There's gold at the end of the rainbow with Manscaped. Not bad, DB. Excellent read, John, as always. Okay. High marks for me. What did McClellan say the other day? Uh, he's an easy grader. It's just a pass yeah, or fail uh, pass on fail. the Kapari test. So <laughs> I, I passed the test. Thank you to Manscaped. Use our code. Uh, let's talk LA Kings, Dennis. Uh, we have the Kings and the Blues getting set tonight to play the second game of a back-to-back -back series. Game one didn't exactly go as planned. In tonight, you're going to have Tarasenko. Parenko is out. Uh, first, we'll talk the St. Louis Blues. Any Anything in particular that you saw that you liked or didn't like about their roster and thoughts on Tarasenko drawing in tonight? Well, just a great comeback story for Tarasenko. He's been out a long time, John. I think it's, what, six, eight months with that shoulder surgery. So good to see that player back. Makes them a little bit dangerous team. The, the blasting impression I had from that game was the play that Mike Hoffman made down 2-1, battling Kopitar, winning a puck battle, um, in his own zone with 40 seconds left and getting it to Perron for the tying goal. I think that was for a guy who is always getting wrapped for his defensive effort. That was a, that was a game saving play that turned into basically a game winning play. So look, it, it's tough on a, so that that's my look at the, at the blues. Uh, David Perron is just a player that seems to score 
big goals yes. at the right moments. And uh, his his agent, Alan Walsh, was on the program a couple of weeks ago. And ironically, one of Walsh's other clients, Matt Luff, drew into the game. So as a Kings fan, you would probably think that the the wrong Walsh client came up big at Staples Center on uh, on Friday night. Yeah, look, David's always going to be uh, an underrated player on the Blues team because you got Ron O'Reilly, you have Shen, you've got Tarasenko, you've got Parenko, but he is a vital part of that. He was a major re- reason they won the championship. So uh, not so good for the Kings, but good for the Blues and uh, just a really an underrated player on David Perron. These are very important games, Dennis. We've talked about the eight-game series with Minnesota and the Kings needing to take as many points as possible in that series. Same thing could be said for the Blues because when you start to look at how the West division is shaping up and we are nearing the midway point of this abbreviated 56-game season, things are shaping up with Vegas and Colorado doing their thing. And perhaps instead of St. Louis being the quote-unquote locked-in team at the third spot, it could in fact be the Minnesota Wild, yeah. which would leave the Kings, the Coyotes, and the Blues to fight it out for the fourth and final playoff spot. Critical points. They gave up. Uh, they were, you know, an extra point uh, in this particular game. The Kings. They were. They were ahead late in that game. I think they were being too aggressive and going for the empty net goal. McClellan seemed to agree with that. Uh, I guess we'll put you on the spot, Dennis, and, and get your thoughts on that. Well, it's just they need. To play better at end of games and this is what mm-hmm. happens when you have inexperienced players on the team it's as simple as well that. but hold on those were some veteran guys that were out there those weren't inexperienced players yeah well well i, I think mikey anderson could have played the play better once the, the 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 puck got back in the zone he didn't come up and challenge Perron. he got kind of caught in between so while there were some experienced players on the team the roster. There are also some inex- inexperienced players on the team. So, look, John. Here's the deal. Like there are hills and valleys. There, and here's the challenge with this team. And I keep harping on their five-on-five production. When you when you don't produce five-on-five other than the big line, you're going to have to win the special teams battle and goaltending battle every night to win games. I think mm-hmm. that's what it boils down to. So I think that that's a key part. But you know, and I've been more critical of, of the team than you have. But at, at this point, here's what I'm going to say, John. This team is not I, I, what they are. I'll tell you what they're not. They're not the Ottawa Senators. They're not the Buffalo Sabres. They're not the Anaheim Ducks, right? They're not the, they're not the New Jersey. Oh, no. <laughs> you're, okay, so they're not in the bottom five of the league. That's basically what you're saying. They're not. They're not a. They're not a poor team. I'm saying uh-huh. that there are holes on this team, right? It's a one-line team right now, offensively, basically. But but it's not like it's not like when they lose these games. It's growing pains. It's not this team stinks and they're losing games. That's two entirely vast, different things. Yeah, yes. That's, that was what I was going to say. A vast difference to last year where yeah. many, many nights, Dennis, the games were unwatchable last year. Right. And you watch these teams like Buffalo who aren't responding to the coach. This team responds to their coach. Could they do it better? Yeah. Enough with the two men in the ice penalties already. And- <laughs> Okay. I mean, that's. I shouldn't laugh, Dennis, because uh, one of those too many men on the ice penalties could very well cost Matt Luff his spot in the lineup tonight. It seemed to me, if you read between the lines, it seemed to me that McClellan was uh, holding Matt Luff accountable for that last night in his post game press conference. Somebody's accountable. You have to make sure that that you're not the sixth guy on the ice. So, so I I just think that there's there are growing pains here, and then you know a more mature, more experienced team wouldn't be losing a game in Minnesota like they did in overtime or protect the lead against St. Louis. So I, I just think that it's growing. That game was a brutal game, right? Because they controlled, like the Arizona game, they controlled throughout. Um, they got a point out of it. And they asked 
pod. Like, is there such thing as a bad point? And he said, mm-hmm. I have to, I have to be careful with my answers. So yeah, I did like that one. That was good. <laughs> exactly. So I, I just think that these are growing pains, right? So if, if they are the, look, let's go, let's force forward to game 56. If they are the fifth team in the division, is that going to be the end of the world? No, because it, like you mentioned, there is growth for this team. You could see it. Um, some fans might want a little faster than others, uh, but you can see growth in this team. And I think that's the takeaway to me is, is that whatever, pl- whatever you thought of the plan, like it, it's in its what, John, second or third stage at this point in time, because you've made all the moves you needed to make. The coach is in place. He's put in a system. And now that the team is starting to respond to the system. And when you see, because here, I'll submit to you, John, the six game winning streak this season was very different than the one last season. The last, mm-hmm. last season, seven-game winning streak, the games, the season was over. They were inconsequential mm-hmm. games. These, they were in the middle of trying to find their way with this, and they had a poor start. So there were challenges, there were criticism. And then they dropped on, got a six-game winning streak. But as teams are like this level of experience, you get six in a row, and now they've lost, they haven't won in four. So that's what you're going to get with this team, I think, throughout. They haven't won, but they have been picking up points uh, along the way in these four games. And so that is important. And they're still hanging around there and uh, they're still in the mix. And as you said, they're not Anaheim. They're not at the bottom of the West Division and they are responding to the coach. We made reference earlier to uh, Kapari making his debut. Uh, Just a couple of quick notes on this. Five shifts in each the first, second and third period. Um, You know, 35 second average shift time, uh, uh, 15 shifts total, you know, 10 minutes plus of ice time. Uh, 10.07, I believe, was the total for his debut. Um, McClellan gave him a passing grade. I'm expecting him to be back into the lineup tonight. We'll have to see. There wasn't a morning skate this morning, nor was there any media availability, so we weren't able to glean any insights from McClellan, but I expect Kapari to be back in the lineup tonight. And uh, there was there was at least one particular shift where I think we saw a little bit of Kapari, and I wasn't expecting him to come out and score two goals and dominate the game. So it was about what I expected. Did you have any key takeaways from Kapari? You know, John, the, he was used, he was utilized late in the third period. Some of those mm-hmm. shifts, even though it wasn't a lot of time, it was probably within, I think, between 10 to five minutes left in the game. He was out there on his shift. So for a while, he didn't get on the ice. But I don't think Cott was afraid to use him in a key part of the game. Yeah, his last shift of the game took place um, at the 16-minute mark of the um, uh, of the third period. So yeah, it was pretty yeah. pretty late in the game. But uh, like I said, he had 10 minutes of ice time. wasn't expecting him to expecting him to play much more than that. So a good debut for Kapari. We'll have to see where he goes from there. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of lineup questions. Curtis McDermott. I would like to see McDermott draw into the lineup tonight uh, because. He's been idle for quite some time, and I think that you could swap him and Mata out with minimal risk in the game. Uh, and then I also just think that because of the second night of back-to-backs against the team, you never know how chippy it's, it's going to be, especially if you're the Kings, you're hoping that they're a little bit pissed off coming out of the game last night. So um, why not draw or why not swap out Mata for McDermott? That would be my recommendation, Dennis. Well, if I knew Tarasenko was going to play Tonight, not last night. I would have put McDermott in last night. Yeah, true, true. So, but you got no. You got to get some rotation going. You got. You can't let him get cobwebs on the bench for too long. So, mm-hmm. I, I think that I think the other five can support him better now than they could ten games ago. So, I, I yeah. get your point. He's. Uh, they also are going to be playing Anaheim next, and so you certainly expect him to be in in there. So, if he doesn't draw in tonight, then I would expect him. Uh, in the not too distant future. What about Quick versus Peterson? I'll tell you, I was a little bit surprised that you ha- you're playing uh, three games this week. You're playing three games in four nights, 
And uh, basically, Jonathan Quick is going to end up getting uh, two of the starts, right? Looks that way, yeah. Well, there was no morning skate, but still. Yeah. Look, I think, John, it's still 50-50 with the net. I don't think there's another other way around it because every time – use a Roddy Piper quote. Every time we think we know the answers, Todd changes the questions, right? So I, I, love I, I don't think that it's anything but 50-50 at this point. I don't think he's leaning on either goaltender at this point in time, which is – if you're winning games, that's totally fine. Yeah, I, I would have I would have liked to have seen it go the other way. I would have rather have seen Peterson twice this week just sure. because I everybody keeps talking about how the, the schedule in March is compacted and they play several back-to-back games, including at least one, if not two, coming off of travel. That's all great and well, uh, well and great, but that has nothing to do with right now. That's coming later in the month of March. The games after tonight are spaced out every other game uh, over the next, next week. So when it was compacted and playing three games in four nights, I would have rather have seen Peterson... Uh, play in two of the games. But, you know, like you said, at the end of the day, it's not just about the goaltending. It is about getting some more offense to produce. Let's wrap things up today, Dennis, uh, on some interesting or an interesting stat. Dustin Brown and Andre Kopitar, with Seabrook retiring, I guess we shouldn't say the word retiring because technically he's still, he's he's not active. He's, he's not on long-term. Right? He's just going to be put yeah. on LTI or not playing again. Same thing that happened with Pronger and Lappy went through this at the end of his right. career, you know, so they get paid uh, and the team gets cap relief, but you know, basically he's retired. So anyway, with Seabrook no longer playing Dustin Brown and Kopitar have played more games together than any other duo in the national hockey league, but it's way more impressive than that. Dennis Kopitar has played 1095 games in the national hockey league. And of the 1095, 1067 have been with Dustin Brown. So basically all but about, what, 30 games, Dustin Brown and Andre Kop- uh, all of, of Kopitar's career, all of but 30 games of Kopitar's career, he's had Dustin Brown in the lineup with him. That is absolutely incredible. Just think of that, John. They've played a 1,000 games together. <laughs> no, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, really, it is. It's unreal. It is. It's, it's, we won't ever see that again like, in this franchise. If we do, it's going to be... <laughs> I'm going to be in the grave by then for sure. But uh, well, I, I hope that we see it again. I would be fantastic. I mean, why not? You have Byfield and Turcotte together for a thousand games. How, I mean, that would be Velarde and, you know, it was just like a Brownie had a little bit of a head start before Kopi came into the league. Yeah. So you could see the same thing. You could see Velarde and Byfield playing together for a thousand games. Well, uh, you would have to think that the franchise is going to find a lot of success if they have another two players that are going to play together for another thousand games. You would have to expect another magical uh, era of LA Kings hockey. If that was to happen. Yeah. Well, but at that point it'll be Kings of the old cast, John. Uh, well, you know, this world is evolving. It will no longer be a podcast. It'll yeah, be it'll a be video cast, and, and we'll we'll beam it into people's watches, and, you know, it'll just, everything we'll will be on. We'll have holograms to me and you, John, like two. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. A hologram of DB and the mayor. It'll be fantastic. Uh, Dennis, the LA Kings need a win. Uh, it's a busy, busy weekend. They played on Friday. It's a double dose of hockey today. You have the Ontario Reign at three. You have the Kings at six. Tomorrow, you get the Ontario Reign playing the uh, matinee game. Uh, plus a big UFC tonight. Uh, DB, we need to wrap this show up. I have a lot of other stuff to do. For sure. I got to get going to Staples too, so let's do it. (laughs) Fans, it's been fantastic. We appreciate you listening in, and thanks again to Brian Slagle uh, from Metal Blade Records for joining us today. Always good to catch up with Slags. We'll be back soon with another guest. We'll talk more LA Kings hockey. Until then, stay safe, everybody, and keep smiling.
Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal.